Hello, my name is Anne-Marie Cannon, and I'm the host of Armchair Historians. What's your favorite history? Each episode begins with this one question. Our guests come from all walks of life. YouTube celebrities, comedians, historians, even neighbors from the small mountain community that I live in. They're people who love history and get really excited about a particular time, place, or person from our distant or not-so-distant past. The jumping-off point is the place where they became curious, then entered the rabbit hole into discovery. Fueled by an unrelenting need to know more, we look at history through the filter of other people's eyes. Armchair Historians is a Belgian Rabbit production. Stay up to date with us through Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Wherever you listen to your podcast, that is where you'll find us. Armchair Historians is an independent, commercial-free podcast. If you'd like to support the show and keep it ad-free, you can buy us a cup of coffee through Ko-fi, or you can become a patron through Patreon. Links to both in the episode notes. In today's episode, I talk to Simon J. James, host and producer of the up-and-coming podcast, Octung History. Now, I found Simon when I was looking for new history podcasts to listen to, and when I saw the name Octung History, I was certain the host would have a German accent. When I heard his lovely British accent, I was drawn in, being the self-proclaimed Anglophile that I am. If the voice drew me in, then the writing and his narration kept me there. Simon J. James, also known as the Berlin Tour Guide, loves Berlin so much, he moved there from Yorkshire, England, and started a tour guide business. His tours are not your run-in-the-mill, though. Simon dives deep into the research to curate his one-of-a-kind history tours of Berlin. Simon has guided entrepreneurs, celebrities, and royalty around Berlin since 2014. According to his website, theberlintourguide.com, Simon goes beyond shallow history, taking you on a storytelling journey through the secrets of Berlin's history, inside stories of drama and intrigue alongside the largest historic events in Berlin's history, an approach that is apparent in his podcast. Simon J. James, welcome and thank you for being here today. Thank you very much for having me. I start each interview out with the same question, and we're just going to get right off to the races. What's your favorite history that we're going to be talking about today? Do you know, this was something I, when you sent me the email and asked me to do this interview, I actually spent a very, very long time thinking about it. It's really taken me a long time to, to work through and think about what I wanted to talk about, in particular in respects to the fact that I I find myself having a very, very broad area of interest. So I started to ask myself, why do I have such a broad area of interest? What is the springboard that that launches me into the the rabbit holes that I seem to fall down so often? And I realized it's the thing that I talk about most often. And it's very simply where I live. It's the city that I adore because it, it takes me on so many different journeys that not necessarily are local to where I am, but they takes me across a country. And therefore, the topic that I, I prefer most to talk about, the history that I am constantly in love with, is the history of Berlin. And I realize that's a very broad and umbrella uh, place to begin, but it really does sort of narrow down into the idea that the city that I love, Berlin, is so incredible and keeps me going because of all its little connections that it builds all all the time. I know this might put you on the spot, and it's a really broad question, but can you give us a little kind of synopsis of the history of Berlin? Yes and no is the easy answer to that, <laughs> to make things even more complicated. Berlin is in history it's not a continuation like some cities may have been let's take for example london is very much a continuation of history it's never really been let's say conquered as such the romans founded it it was abandoned etc and then the normans established a stronghold then and then the, the history has remained fairly linear throughout berlin is quite different the city of berlin itself began when we don't even really know to begin with. The very beginnings of Berlin itself are 
very much uh, in murky waters. Uh, there was a lot of small fishing settlements around here. Uh, they competed with one another over time for prominence. And it was also on the one point on the outer reaches of Christianity before the Slavic pagans to the east. But the, the thing that I think really defines Berlin's history is the fact that it's always been really a divide. It's been what we think today is looking at its more recent history. It's was torn between the Cold War. It sat on the crossroads of East and West. And through all of these things, they've added to a very rich texture of the city. But Berlin, in essence, is a rebellious outpost that is its own place, its own identity, that hasn't try to really conform with any one particular style. It's a wonderful amalgamation of many different places all coming together in a huge city. And it's got a really quite just incredible energy to it that very few cities I personally find can compete with. So you don't have a German accent. You no. are obviously from England. <laughs> I so am. Are you German? No, I'm, I'm, I'm English. I grew up in England, but from a very early age, I, through a musical exchange with an orchestra that I used to be part of, had an exchange with Germany. And I fell in love with Germany from about the age of 11 or 12. Oh, wow. That's young. Um, yes, and slowly that connection led me to, to explore a little places farther afield. Initially, it was uh, to the far west of Germany that I first visited. And then on one of those trips to the far west, I took a train and came to Berlin and never sort of wanted to leave, which is why, why I live here and why, for me, the, the history of Germany and Berlin is so much a, a big, has been a big part and is a big part of my life and why I, I'd like to think I'm somewhat of an expert in it. I think you are. Tell us a little bit about your journey and how you did end up in Berlin and what it is that you do now. And I want to say I've been listening to your podcast ever since yesterday because I try to do a deep dive before I interview somebody, <laughs> you know, whatever their platform is. Yes. Uh, Hitler's Horses. Oh, my God. You Do you do the writing? Yeah, I do all of it. Oh, my word. Have you published a book? Uh, I haven't. I'm sitting on a few things at the moment that I... I'm debating whether or not I'm going to release them as podcasts or as books. Uh, so, why, not uh, all, why not everything? <laughs> I, I am in love with your writing. It was high intrigue. It had everything. It wasn't just a history podcast. And you have a great voice. So it's very rare that somebody who is a writer can actually uh, narrate their own writing. That doesn't happen a lot. Anyways, I'm I'm a fan. How How did you become... What is it, the Berlin Tour Guide? Yes, that's correct. I arrived in Berlin to, to live here permanently uh, about six and a half years ago. And I've always had a passion for, for storytelling on top of uh, my passion for history. My degree at university wasn't a degree in history as such, but it was a, a degree in film. So the two elements of history and storytelling have been a big part of, of my own identity and what I've loved doing. And since my first visit to the city of Berlin, it was the, the history that, that captured me. So this was, I visited first, I don't know how long ago now, quite a long time ago. And I just remember that it was bitterly cold. It was one of the coldest winters they'd ever had on record. It was uh, minus minus 20 something degrees Celsius. And the city, despite that, was so beautiful. The skies were blue, the architectural uh, styling of the place, the, the neoclassical columns, all just looked amazing. And at that point, I decided that I had to live in Berlin. So I went back to England, went back to university. I studied in Bristol, uh, which is in itself a fantastic city. And... I left university uh, possibly at one of the worst times that one could, which was during the, the end of the, the middle of the last recession. And there wasn't a lot of options. Myself and a lot of my course colleagues, we had to start taking whatever jobs we could. 
I know a lot of people who wanted to go and specialize in certain aspects of film, be it writing, et cetera. And it was very difficult for anybody because there wasn't the, op- the opportunities. Uh, for myself, I took up some, some odd jobs. Uh, I did some work in filming with another uh, passion of mine, which is motorsport. And ultimately, many years later, I got fed up of it and I decided to sell everything I owned and just follow, follow the dream, which was followed to Berlin. And I arrived here. I knew so much of the history already because it had been uh, part of my dissertation at university was a study of uh, pre and post fall of the Berlin Wall attitudes and reflections and iconography. So I just fell into being a tour guide and enjoyed every moment of it because we got to meet new people and the thing that I've always specified with being a tour guide is that if you repeat facts nobody's going to remember anything but if you can give people the 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 stories the one-liners you can create springboards that they will remember the rest of the story they only need that starting point to be able to remember so much more and they can go away and tell their friends and that's what I've, I've loved about it. Of course, naturally, in the last year or so, tour guiding has not been a particularly great. Can I just interject? Be a, because, and this yeah. is one of the other reasons why I was so intrigued by you, is I too am a tour guide. I live in a National Historic Landmark District in uh, Colorado. The town is called Georgetown. And so I just love history. I love talking about it. I'm not a scholar. I kind of fell in love with history in. At university, I had a teacher that I took every semester, and she would do that. She would come in and tell you history like a story. I was totally sold, and I guess I've already kind of always had that propensity. Anyways, I'm a storyteller. My degree is actually in writing. So I, too, was in the same quandary when COVID happened, Mm -hmm. and I just... I shut my business down this past uh, season, um, and that's when I started my podcast. Is that when you started yours as well? or In part, yes. I'd actually begun working on the podcast last year when I'd actually taken a sabbatical anyway from tour guiding. I'd been working a lot and I decided that actually what I wanted to do was focus on doing some writing and focusing on rather instead of working so much that to follow the, the writing side as well. And during that year, I happened to stumble upon, can't remember exactly what it was, but I stumbled upon a name and it was one of those rabbit hole moments that I just tumbled and tumbled down. And that became, the, that name presented me with a question is, why do we not know about this? Why do we not know about this person? And through many, many weeks and months of research, I started to build a picture and that picture eventually formed itself into the writing for the first podcast for the first series he holds the devil and a study into uh, Hans Globke the the man who was the the lawyer that effectively wrote the Nuremberg laws that persecuted so horrendously uh, during the Nazi regime and he was a man who got away with it and I was I couldn't quite fathom how this person was allowed to get away with it so I was sitting on it, preparing for a, a new season of tour guiding to begin. And I thought I would sit on it, I'll record it, I'll have it all set up, and then I'll use it as promotion for, for the tour guiding business to enhance the website and such. And then COVID hit. The business, of course, naturally died. And my fiance said, why don't you just release it? So I did. I started releasing it. And there was... I think with doing that, it awoke uh, a passion within me to focus a lot more on the writing and the, the storytelling and combine it with the history to keep going with the podcast. I work most weeks, five days a week on producing new podcasts to to keep going. So it really was the, the current situation that pushed me into doing the, the podcasting. Do you do all German history or do you do <laughs> No, so I predominantly focus upon Prussian history. The reason I don't focus on German history as a whole is because it gets infinitely more complicated. The idea of Germany in German history, we say, begins in 9 AD when the Germanic tribes first united together and defeated the Roman armies. 
uh, the Battle of Tuesenberg Forest. But Germany doesn't exist as a physical concept until really the unification of Germany in 1871. So prior to that, during, for example, the Holy Roman Empire that existed from the late 9th century until Napoleon disbanded it in 1806, that was a collection of bishopdoms, of fiefs, of dukedoms, of small independent kingdoms that just creates a really rich fabric. There was a wonderful book by the former curator of the the British Museum, uh, Neil McGregor, who really explored beautifully through different topics what it meant to be German and what is German history. And the reality is that German history is, is a history of different areas working together in skills, but there isn't something as such that you could classify until 1871 as the German nation. So you can't really say, are you an expert in German history because of the fact that Bavaria has its own completely different timeline until 1871 to to Prussia, uh, which existed in the north. So it becomes extremely complicated. If you take, for example, Queen Victoria of Britain, her husband was Albert of Saxe-Coburg-Goethe, and that was a German area. And it was an area that was infinitely divided within itself. So it started of Saxe, was divided into Coburg and Goethe. And it becomes this pyramid scheme, effectively, of, of nations. So the history of Germany in itself is so complicated. So I choose to focus a bit more simply on Prussia and, and Berlin, which have a not quite easier, but a more, it's a more focused historical story. But in particular, the the area that fascinates me about Berlin is how Berlin came into being. It went so quickly from a backwater capital to the capital of of an empire and became the powerhouse of Europe that made the old kingdoms, the Britain and France, really, really quake because it became so powerful so quickly. And it spawned uh, a great wealth that then became the wonderful 1920s in Berlin, the decadent periods. So my my history is predominantly focused around Berlin and Prussia. What is the one thing that you want my listeners to know about Berlin? Good question. I think the one thing that I would have to say that I'd like people to know more about Berlin is that Berlin in the last 100 years has really garnered a reputation as a party city from the 1920s that is very much revered uh, for its cabarets and such through to the 1990s until today as a a big scene of of techno and and clubbing. And what I often find is when people come to Berlin, often now they miss something. And what they miss is that Berlin was once the centre of of education and enlightenment. A lot of people presume that because of the German history from World War One and World War Two, that Berlin and Prussia were this militaristic area of boots marching up and down and Hitler salutes, etc. But Berlin itself really is was one of the most amazingly liberal and enlightened Mm. areas where there was a huge focus on education. Berlin had one of the greatest uh, success rates for children in education. They had, in the end of the 19th century, they had over 96% of the children in Berlin were in education, which is incredible to think about, because if you compare that to somewhere like England, you could flip that on its head. 96% of children in England weren't in education. Berlin had an incredible university in the Friedrich Wilhelm University that became the University of Berlin that is today's Humboldt University, founded by the fantastic Humboldt brothers, Alexander of which, Alexander von Humboldt, gives his name to many counties in the United States and many different species of of animals. It was home to some of the, the greatest museums and collections, and it really is such an incredible cultural center that you can walk in to so many different museums on one ticket and see some of the most incredible pieces that are explained in a beautiful way. And it's so accessible. It's really accessible. 
uh, to wander uh, around and see incredible buildings that other places sort of, I always feel a little bit lacking. Berlin is a central place of education that changed really the course of Europe at one point because of its incredible institutions that eventually led to people like Max Planck and Albert Einstein studying or lecturing here and really pushing the way in sciences, mathematics, etc. So there's so much de deep, rich educational history that is mm -hmm. worth exploring, as well as the history that often is more prominent due to, for example, the Second World War, due yeah. to uh, media and such that uh, allows us through films and photographs to have a, a more visual approach. So that's really why I always think about Berlin is that people need to remember that it wasn't just the Hitler regime or the, the First World War, or the, sure. the dancing of the 20s. It was a city like none other. It really was for uh, education and, and enlightenment. Who knew? And you're absolutely right that my understanding of Germany period or its history is very rooted in the wars. <clears throat> it is. I think it's the same for so many people. And it is unfortunate in, in a way. I think it's an important history to remember. But at the same time, I think there's a lot that is lost in that quick association, maybe. Do you speak German? <laughs> I, I wish I can read German, but I can't speak it. I'm sort of the, the reverse of most people who can speak it, but uh, can't read it. But it's uh, purely because I spend so much time reading old newspapers to to uh, to gather my research or to gather strange little stories which are otherwise somewhat forgotten. I spend a lot of time reading the old Germanic fracture script that I can read fairly well. I still have to translate most things just to, to be sure. I'm, translating my head is correct, but when it comes to speaking it, uh, no, I, I do struggle. But that's also down to the fact that Berlin is an extremely multicultural city. You do your tours in English? Oh, I do everything in English, yes. Interesting. That's interesting. I was wondering about that. Are you still doing tours? Have you done any tours this year? I've, I've done a handful. One was actually uh, for a client, and then I decided that, uh, again, with a little bit of a, a prod, I decided to do a free tour to try and address aspects of Berlin's history that otherwise people wouldn't explore. If you come to a lot of cities in Europe, let's say as a student, for example, uh, more often than not, you'll end up doing a free walking tour in the city, and it will be with a certain company. And they will take you on routes. But what I found in my passing by of these tours is a lot of the information is sort of like uh, a Chinese whispers of information. One tour guide read it once, and then the next tour guide was trained off of them speaking, and the next one. And slowly that information has become a little bit fragmented and predominantly wrong. But also with that, uh, a lot of these companies, they do the same tours. Uh, they, they, in a way, they give the people what they want. They, they want to see where Hitler's bunker was. They want to see the Berlin Wall. They want to see Checkpoint Charlie. So I decided this uh, just before the second lockdown came into being. I decided to do uh, not per se an alternative tour, but rather to do tours of the important historical sites that wouldn't fall onto those routes. So I did a tour uh, of the old historic city center of Berlin, which we're slowly getting parts of it back. Things are being rebuilt. It's lovely to see some incredible buildings that were destroyed uh, either through the war or through the communist period and not fitting in with a new ideology. And to take people through through the stories and the only ghost story of Berlin falls into that, that mark. And then more recently, I did a tour that focused on two things, focused on the communist history of Berlin outside of the post-Second World War period, so that the earlier communist history, and beer, the history of beer and how it is a, uh, a very interesting tool to look into the development of the city through types of beer that people drunk, through rising volumes of beer produced, different types of beer that were produced, and why certain types of beer went in, out of existence. Uh, and I offered those to people in Berlin because I think it's important to get people in their own city out 
as much as it is to get tourists in and learning mm -hmm. about the city. Sure. So those were both wonderful, wonderful little forays back into tour guiding. But other than that, it has been a year that I have focused predominantly on podcasting. So you're in lockdown again? Soft lockdown. We're uh, uh, bars and restaurants are closed. Takeaway is open. Shops are limited in how many people that can uh, yeah. go in. Uh, it's not as bad as the first one, but um, cases are a little bit worse than the first lockdown at the moment. So mm -hmm. we're just we're just existing. Uh, we should be in lockdown. It's horrible here right now, and and we have this president who's <laughs> denying the fact that he lost. <laughs> we can't we can't avoid it. It's uh, yeah. it's all over uh, oh, it's the so news. Yeah, but you know I the mean, truth of the matter is that half of the the United States are aligned, not half, maybe a little bit less than half, but yeah. are, you know, aligned with his, if you want to call it a philosophy. And I constantly think about the Nazis and the evolution of the Nazis and compare it to, there's a lot of elements of what has gone on in the United States and other countries too, even England. It makes me understand how, the Nazis and Hitler came into power. The, yeah. the, the only saving grace for us, I think, is that Trump is not as smart as Hitler was. <laughs> uh, I think I agree with that. Yeah. It's, um, we, all, we can always say a, a very good friend of mine says hindsight is 2020. Uh, and it's easier to look later on at yeah. where you could have stopped things. Uh, than it is to address them at the moment, at the time that they're happening. But we do have the benefit of certain aspects of history that we can draw parallels between that will allow us to understand our governments themselves better as well. Where do we see this history? And this is a good opportunity for you to help us to see a Berlin that you see, perhaps. Uh, where do we see this history in pop culture? Oh, with Berlin, I think absolutely everywhere. I think you'd be surprised, really, how often it pops up in popular culture. Say, for example, I was at lunchtime today, I was watching uh, Scrubs, if you remember the old TV show oh, Scrubs. Yeah. Sure. Uh, and, the, and that, the Nina song, 99 Love Balloons, came on, 996 Love Balloons. And that's a, a very important piece of uh, popular culture about Berlin. It's talking about sending balloons over the wall. It's about dropping these little pieces of silver to interrupt uh, messages, etc. One small piece of pop culture. But also there's really the pop culture in Berlin. And the two really come together very, very often. And most times you, you might not even realize it. An example springs to mind in... The mocking, mocking Jay films. I've forgotten what they're called. The Hunger Games. <laughs> the Hunger Games. Thank you. Okay. In German, they're called Mocking Jay. Uh, in the Hunger Games, uh, which I believe, not having really seen too much of the films or reading the books, uh, it's all about this totalitarian state. Mm -hmm. And there's a scene in it where uh, there's a crowd gathered and they're protesting in a big open space, and behind them is this this large rising building. And the building that rises behind them is actually the largest fascist building we have in Berlin. It's the old Tempelhof Airport, which is actually just behind me as I record this. I live next door to the, the old runways. So you get little snippets of how Berlin is used in popular culture through quite often its architecture. In that case, it's used because it's totalitarian, it's dominating architecture that was built to make, make people feel small. So often in popular culture, they use the cityscape of Berlin, or you can fast forward to uh, Atomic Blonde, quite a fantastic film that came out uh, a few years ago, which was predominantly set in Berlin, and use a lot of very, very clever little references to its history throughout. And I think Berlin just captures something, especially when they go historically, because it's got this grit and grime to it. Uh, because of the east-west divide and also I think because people idealized this sense of being and sense of liberation that Berlin provided and when the Berlin Wall came down 
people were euphoric. It was the wall was a symbol of tyranny. People today still will go to see pieces of the Berlin Wall to have a picture with it because it means something. And films can often use, or music can use references to to Berlin to really try and create a, a sense of liberation of what it means. Bruce Springsteen shot a music video in Berlin very, very shortly after the Berlin Wall came down. He was also the man who held, I believe it still is, the largest concert in history in East Berlin when mm. the regime was trying to appear cool, when really mm-hmm. the regime was these old, bitter white men who try to keep the semblance oh my God. of a... Sounds it's, like it's, the United it, States. <laughs> it comes around. It's, it's people pretending to let go of the shackles of the past, but really they're, they're trying to keep it's alive through creating a veneer of, of change. But in the case of Berlin, that change did arrive. Yeah. And unfortunately, that change has always also been accepted as coming part and parcel with David Hasselhoff. <laughs> David Hasselhoff? Uh, it's just, he's, there's this sort of illusion that David Hasselhoff is popular in Germany uh, because he was uh, in Berlin around the time of the Wallfall and New Year's. And he appeared in a, a cherry picker crane at the Berlin Wall, singing "Everybody's Looking for Freedom," and tried to cement himself within the popular culture of legacy of Berlin. Oh, but I didn't know that. I didn't. It's know it's that. it's I very cringy. I don't associate him with that, but now I'm gonna go look. Though I have to find that. <laughs> I've I've just spread spread the Hasselhoff a little bit further and did the opposite to what I intend to. <laughs> Well, history is a funny thing. We can't control how the future is going to look at historical events or even how we look at them today. But history has always been a touchstone of the narrative of every everything and everybody for me. We link back to, obviously, whatever your platform is. So in your case, it would be your website and uh your podcast, and I see you can pretty much listen to your podcast anywhere where people listen to podcasts. Pretty much, and, and amazing, many, many platforms. I had no idea I was on as well. And you also are on Patreon. You also have a – how does your Patreon work? Uh, my Patreon works predominantly as if people wish to support it. I do believe quite often that history should be accessible to all, so I don't like putting things as such behind behind paywalls so how i work the patron is that it's more sort of a a, say a tip or a donation yeah yeah um however i will when i record episodes i generally put between 20 and 40 hours of work into each episode so when i do release something for patreon it's normally just a an informal chat where i go over those bits and ideas that i wanted to to fit in but they didn't quite work with the narrative of the of the podcast so patreon there's many tier many tiers i think the the, the lowest one is just a, a singular euro just to try and make it accessible to all yeah yeah and you don't have commercials i noticed no i don't is that something that you are planning on keeping it that way or do you look to monetize potential i'm asking this is more from a podcast <laughs> point of view I would prefer to keep it without advertisements. Yeah. I would prefer to keep it so that it's not the narratives that I'm building aren't broken by a sudden pop-up uh, and try to encourage uh, if people do enjoy the podcast to just to think about giving something as little as a euro a month through Patreon uh, to keep it advertisement-free. Um, right, I'd much that's... rather keep it that way. That's what I'm trying to do as well. You know, I just, this is something I've thought about for two years. And uh, I always thought, oh, it would be so cool to do a podcast where people just, you know, regular people talk about their favorite history. Obviously, you are not a regular person when it comes to history. But I, you know, talked to my first three interviews was uh, my friend who runs a Hotel de Paris here in town. He's the executive director. So he's a historian. But, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's just that using history as a springboard to conversation. And um, 
And then because of COVID, like I said, I was able to start this podcast and I've gotten into a routine with it and I want to keep doing it. But I, like you, I don't want to monetize it through um, commercials either. I I would like to keep it commercial free and I've contemplated that I, I am going to have to look at doing something other than tour guiding in the future because uh, the, the the business I feel is gone. So um, I've contemplated even then doing whatever I can to keep the podcast going, but that may mean having, if there isn't sponsorship as such, uh, to reduce the amount of episodes I produce. So I, I can I go back to doing it as a hobby rather than as I treat it at the moment is more full-time job and research but it doesn't feel like work it never does Uh, it doesn't I know I wish I could do this for a living and I'm like you I uh need to you know I'm a freelancer and I need to find jobs to do uh yeah that's that's but you know you have you have a book you have books you have everything that you put into it you put way more into your podcasts than I do And that's not to sell my podcast short, but I can see it being a writer, all the work that you put behind it, uh, the history and the way you connect all the dots and your stories. And I was just before we started, I was listening to your Halloween episode. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that was a brilliant story. I thought the whole episode was actually going to be the story, which I was like, oh, I can. Yeah, this is cool. But then you do end up getting into the history and I hadn't, you know, the historical uh, narrative but thank you very much the halloween episode was uh, a really fun one that is berlin's really pretty much berlin's only ghost story for a city that has seen so much and been devastated in so many different ways throughout history that's berlin's only ghost story the palace that uh, the ghost supposedly floated through Either was the original one was destroyed many, 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 many years ago. Then the one that replaced it was destroyed by the communist regime at the end of the war. And they lost that connection. But that palace is now back. We've rebuilt it in its facade. And it, it's now crowning uh, Museum Island, the UNESCO World Heritage Site at the center of Berlin. And for Halloween, with the, the palace which should be reopening in the next few weeks again uh, to the public for the first time. It was something that I felt would be special to do, but it's also because it was a ghost that haunted the, supposedly haunted the Hohenzollern dynasty, which is one of my sort of weak spots too in in Berlin's history that I always fall down to. I love wandering the palaces of Potsdam near Berlin, where the, the monarchs used to live and where supposedly the ghost haunted and going to the graves of the great King Frederick II and uh, the Hohenzollerns, I feel, is something very special uh, to understand, but not in a positive light. There was certainly some large negative aspects to that, uh, especially Kaiser Wilhelm II. They were uh, some interesting characters through it that uh, really inspired me to try and get that, that Halloween episode out and to combine the, the storytelling with a little bit more of an ethereal atmosphere with mm. with sound effects. And it's something I really in, enjoyed. I try not to work on podcasts at the weekend. I try and have a bit of time off. But for, for that one, I made an exception to uh, to spend a little bit more time editing the sounds in. Yeah. <clears throat> well, we have a lot in common, the tours and then the podcast and the storytelling and I just immediately when I heard your voice and started listening to the podcast when I reached out to you I just I knew like oh I I want this guy on my podcast (laughs) he's got a really cool yeah where are you from in England where'd you grow up I grew up in the north in the county of Yorkshire I grew up in in the countryside we were supposed to go there. We had tickets. England is like, to me, the motherland. That's where um, <laughs> my ancestors are from, southern in Hampshire, a little town called Stoke. I traced their kind of lineage back there. So I'm a, I am am an Anglophile, I have to <laughs> say. I'm a self-confessed. And we love going to England. So we were going to go for almost a month this last time. So oh, wow. excited. We were going to go north, which I really hadn't spent too much time in the north and we were going to go to Scotland and 
York and go see Hadrian's Wall and yeah, um, that didn't happen. So York York is a fantastic place. I York is a place that I hold special. It's it's full of stories. It's got an insanely vibrant history and some devishly wicked words. They have a street called Whitmer Whatmer Gate, which is a, <laughs> a, a, a it's a very short street. Or the Shambles, which has now become somewhat a Harry Potter mess. Gorgeous, gorgeous city. Uh, and if you enjoy ghost stories, it's absolutely full of them. So why don't you tell us about your podcast? Tell us where we can find you. So yeah, my podcast is, at the moment, it's released weekly. Uh, you can find it on every every major platform and many small platforms as well, from Apple to Spotify, uh, Radio Public Overcast, etc. Um, the idea behind uh, the podcast, which is called Arctung History, is that it, it is a blend of storytelling and history. I like to open the episodes with a narrative that builds a picture and then take you back into the history. So in not quite up to a year yet, but we're 38 episodes in with a couple of series. The first series is He Who Holds the Devil, which I alluded to earlier on, uh, which is the investigation in a documentary style into Hans Globke, who worked for the Prussian and the Reich's Ministry of the Interior uh, during the Nazi period and was responsible for the commentaries on the Nuremberg laws that uh, helped the Nazis to persecute the Jewish people. But not only that, he was also a main uh, purporter of ethnic cleansing uh, in what is today Czechia, the Czech, Czech Republic, in Lithuania, Latvia, the Netherlands, Belgium, and many other locations. And then amazingly still managed to become the most powerful person in post-World War II West Germany. He became the shadowy figure behind Konrad Adenauer, the Chancellor of West Germany, who pulled all the strings. So that was our series one. Season two uh, was a full narrative, uh, but really was a passion uh, project of mine. Uh, last year, I spent the year writing a book of which my iPad is currently resting on top of, which is about as much use as it gets at the moment. During that writing that book, I stumbled upon a story in the newspaper about the murder of a poor girl in 1929 in Berlin. And I went to the, the state archives, found the police files, and reconstructed a few weeks in August 1929 into the events. Uh, so in that podcast, which is called The Watcher, it's an eight-part series that every conversation in it is reconstructed from the original police transcripts from 1929. And with that, I've also had tried to build a picture of what was going on in the city at the time, which is, is quite incredible. That's the other thing I wanted to tell you, that I love your sound effects. Like Thank the you. one about Hitler's horses, you, you portray these conversations that actually happened, and then it everything changes and it sounds like your these conversations are taking place on a phone. Yes. Yeah. So I, I, I try to distinguish with the, when I have in the more standalone episodes, when I have people talking uh, or I'm quoting a lot of the time, I will put a, an effect on uh, just so that it's clear that it's a, a quote. I don't, I don't like saying quote, end quote, uh, it's not. It's, it's a weird thing that we don't. We actually don't really do in in English. English. It's, it's just a little quirk that I, I found was useful to 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 break the uh, my narrative from the 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 actual quotes, which often is. Uh, I think I predominantly use a lot of Albert Speer quotes because of the fact that he uh, was so well written of the time. Amongst the series, uh, which also includes series on Werner von Braun, the man who put uh, American uh, NASA into space. Uh, there's a six-episode series on him. Uh, there's a lot of standalone ones as well, where it looks into more quirkier, singular episodes. So you don't have to invest a lot of time. Uh, they're designed to be a little bit more either off-cuff or, as the, the current one, The Hunt for Hitler's Horses, is uh, a little bit more investigative. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I think you have a great product and I think that 
I don't know, somebody should hire you like Spotify did with uh, <laughs> Joe Rogan. I mean, <laughs> so you're so talented. Be... You're real, really, you. you are. I mean, I know I keep gushing and I sound like a fan. Well, I guess I am. It's certainly so something that... that I would love love to pursue forever. It's it's my dream to be able to to keep doing research and spend my days in dusty archives. Just in the rabbit holes. Yeah. Coming up for a year to tell people what you found out. It's there's a, a weird sense of of happiness and pride when you you can walk out of somewhere and go, I'm potentially the first person to know this fact or this little snippet in a hundred or so years. Um, sure. It, oh yeah. It, it's a little pat on the back. It's even if it is for that one moment, it's slightly selfish. But then I turn it into a podcast and broadcast it. So. Oh yeah, that's awesome. I love going to the old markets, the flea markets, the floor market. And finding most of my collection of German literature is actually I've paid perhaps a euro for most most oh, of the wow. books. So it's very, very well, it's very cheap. I have a, an original uh, celebration book from the the wedding anniversary of the Kaiser. Uh, oh, but wow. I also it's strange things that you pick up that most people don't realize there's a bit of worth to. Sometimes you think you've really found a, a nugget of information. And in Berlin and, and Prussia, there was once a great king. It was called Frederick II, and he's one of the only kings whose statue still remains. Most were, were melted down at the end of the Second World War or even during the Second World War for their mineral wealth. And a long time ago, they produced these little pocket books. Oh, oh, it's about... show, show me it because I'll – okay. I'll take a screenshot of it. Okay. It's actually it's a about... little pamphlet. It's gorgeous. It's called a miniature bibliotheque. It's only about two and a half inches across, about I don't know, four inches tall. Um, and in here, it, this little, tiny little uh, biography of the great king, Frederick II, or Friedrich II, um, it alluded to this incredible little piece of information, which is that completely benign in all of the great things that he did. It's completely benign. But it just tells you that Frederick II liked his coffee with mustard. That is crazy. It's crazy. It's, it's just one of those absolutely, yeah. you wouldn't think that somebody would actually even today enjoy the, a coffee with mustard, but he did. Um, and it's one of those little facts that you become a little treasure. And then one day you just happen to go into Twitter with all your Twitter historians and find somebody <laughs> else knew it. And it annoys you because you thought you were sitting <laughs> on that. But uh, <clears throat> it's one of those little treasures that you like to hold on that make, make, also, they make characters in history real. Yeah. Uh, when so often they sit on pedestals, they were just real people. And Frederick II was, uh, for me, one of my favorite characters because he was a man who he did know love, but his father stole love from him uh, when he executed his best friend. And Frederick uh, spent most of his life then either he was married, but his wife lived on one side of Berlin and he lived on the other side of Berlin. He spent his summers in a beautiful small palace. It was only 12 rooms and it's still there today. It's called Sanssouci. And all he wanted to do uh, was when he died was to be buried with his dogs on the top terrace of his vineyard, which naturally, okay, just to have a vineyard is quite nice to have. <laughs> but such a, a man who was known and idealized. Uh, the Nazis absolutely adored him. They turned him into a, a film hero multiple, multiple times. But he was a man who was of reason. And when he died, he wanted to be buried on his top terrace. So therefore, the person who succeeded him, his nephew, had him buried somewhere completely else, um, in a different spot, until the fall of the Berlin Wall, when in 19, I think it was 1991, so two years after the fall of the wall, there was a large ceremony and he was finally buried on the top terrace of his palace of Sanssouci, roughly uh, 204 years after he died. Oh, my he word. He finally made it where he wanted so to be. What, what time, I was going to ask you, what time period was he? He ruled as king of Prussia from 1740 to 1786. Wow, that's a great story. And he's the person you have in, in Pennsylvania. Uh, there is a couple of towns named after there's actually I think there's a shopping mall called the Prince of Prussia, uh, which is named after his younger brother, Prince Heinrich, 
who trained a lot of the American revolutionary forces in Revolutionary War. He ruled in the, the 18th century, and it took 204 years for him to be buried where he wanted to be. So who uh, was behind the burying him 200 and some years later? When Frederick was initially buried, he was buried uh, in the bottom of a church called the Garrison Kirche in Potsdam, uh, alongside his father. During the Second World War, there was an operation to remove his casket because it was sort of a an iconic place to visit. And the, the Nazis didn't want to get it damaged. So they re- removed it to a salt mine. And at the end of the Second World War, it was removed from the salt mine and taken to the Hohenzollern Castle in southwest Germany, where it stayed in a crypt there. And when the wall fell, the cities of Berlin, the state of Brandenburg, and uh, the Hohenzollern family, uh, the descendants came together and arranged for for Frederick to finally be buried. It's it's a beautiful little grave. It's just a stone in the floor that says Friedrich der Große. That's it. Simple, huh. without pomp and circumstance. Just just how a he nice wanted it. Spot. Exactly how he wanted it to be. And it's right. a beautiful little little spot that people leave potatoes on because he introduced the potato to Prussia. So people oh. still go today and put a little, as we'd say in English, we put a spud on the uh, on his grave. Uh-huh. Wow. Uh, he's a fasc- absolutely fascinating man and a man who liked mustard in his coffee. Liked mustard? I don't know. I, I haven't know. tried it. I keep, it makes me keep, wanted to try it. I kind of want to try keep, it now. I keep thinking of trying it, but then... What I, kind of mustard I, would, he, would it have been? Do you think it would have been like... Uh, I think it would have been a, a heavy grain mustard. Okay. Sort of a thick, thick mustard. Probably not a bright yellow hot dog mustard. I'm going to try it. going to try it. Was there anything else? I feel like I could talk to you for hours, but um, was there anything else? I will say that if, if anybody wants to reach out to me, if they interested in the podcast or they themselves have a rabbit hole for me to fall down also people who i'm always happy to speak with people on on twitter and instagram and and such conversations over history are i think exceptionally important they are people can be very divided on opinions but history is something that we can go away and read facts about and build stories and unite in as well uh, to to try and learn a little bit as well well put, well put. And where can people find you? Uh, they can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Arctung History uh, or my website, uh, theberlintourguide.com forward slash Arctung History. Uh, there is a Facebook page as well, which is Arctung History Podcast, uh, where I post a few updates, but uh, not so much the main, the main platforms for myself is Twitter and Instagram. Mm, perfect. Simon... Jay James, thanks for your time today and for talking to us today. It's been my pleasure. Thank you very much. All right, great. Take care, Simon. You too. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. There you have it, folks. Simon J. James coming at you all the way from Berlin. Be sure to check out his podcast, Octung History, and his website, theberlintourguide.com. Thanks so much for listening in. Have a great week.